Well, good morning, friends. I'm Ben. It's great to be back with you again. Kind of feels like a second home to me. Uh, love my vineyard family here in the Quad City. Until my retirement a year ago in January, I was the senior pastor of the Vineyard Church in Peoria, where we served with a team there for 12 years. And then um, before that, had pastored the vineyard in Urbana, Illinois. And uh, for the last 10 years or so, I was also the area leader for the Midwest-South region of vineyard churches, of which this church is a part. You see, we're all, uh, all 580 U.S. churches are part of a region, and so we're really kind of a small part of a big thing, about 3,000 vineyard churches around the world. So you have a large extended family, and it feels always great to, to come and be with uh, our family. My hope is that uh, our time to, together today draws you closer to Jesus and helps you live with greater joy and love and peace to make better decisions and to live with fewer regrets, no matter where you're at on your personal spiritual journey. If we were to make a, a list of the top 10 most memorable stories from the Bible, I suspect that many of your lists might include Adam and Eve, Noah and the Ark, Moses and the Red Sea, David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah, Delilah, Daniel in the lion's den, perhaps Jesus walking on the water, Jesus feeding the 5,000 by multiplying the fish and the bread, uh, turning the water into wine, most certainly Jesus' death and resurrection, and Jonah and the big fish. Now this very uh, short 48-verse story in the Old Testament, told in the third person, is actually the only book of the Bible that ends with a question. God asks, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And I'll suggest to you that the question is intended by the author, whoever it was, uh, to provoke our hearts to more fully align with God's heart of inexhaustible, never-ending, and ever-widening love for all people everywhere. I mean, the truth is, people annoy us, don't they? <laughs> they irritate us, they make us mad, and they can even hurt us in many different ways. And so, consequently, we don't love people, and especially our enemies, uh, very perfectly, do we? And so the Holy Spirit wants to use this short story in the Bible to call us to love, which is the one sweeping story of God's kingdom. Now, stories in the Bible, Jonah included, reveal different aspects of God's name and character. And while there is only one true and living God, the 40 biblical writers referred to uh, God, this one living and true God, with many different names. Um, Yahweh or Jehovah, Emmanuel, Adonai, El Roy, and El Shaddai, just to name a few. We sang a number of those in the opening songs today. And you've been looking, as a church family, at a number of the names of God through the course of this year. And we've learned that names have power, haven't we? And that they reveal a lot about someone's nature and character. And this month, we're actually going to be introduced to another of those names of God. And it's called, he's called Elohim. The Hebrew word Elohim is used through the Old Testament over 2,300 times. It's actually the very first name of God found in the Bible. 
the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter, in the very first verse. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. It comes from a Hebrew word meaning strength or power. And so if you were to see someone exhibiting supreme rule uh, or reign, expressing mighty power, you might refer to that person as Elohim. Now, it has an unusual characteristic in the original language of being plural in its form. And what this indicates to us is that from the, the very first time it's used in the Bible, we get a hint of God in three persons. Today we call that the Trinity. It's a revelation that is progressively unfolded through the pages of the Bible. Now, Elohim is not used exclusively for God in the book of Jonah, but, but somewhat frequently. And in part, it's because this story reveals God's mighty power and his supreme rule, as will be seen now over the next four weeks. So why don't we begin reading in Jonah 1, verses 1 to 2. If you have a Bible, you can read along or follow the text on the screen. It's in the clean section of your Old Testament that you don't read very often, called the Minor Prophets. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amity. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. So the story opens with God calling Jonah to go to the pagan city of Nineveh and announce his judgment against it. We actually know very little about Jonah uh, from the pages of the Bible. Well, it, the, the text does indicate that he is a prophet and he was a servant of God that God used during the reign of King Jeroboam II. We learn that in 2 Kings. The city of Nineveh, it was the oldest and most populous city of the ancient Assyrian Empire, the enemies of Israel. It was located on the banks of the Tigris River. It's encircled by what is today known as the modern city of Mosul in Iraq. About 60 miles around, had a population of 120,000 people. It's known through biblical archaeology as an extremely wicked pagan city. Now, during Jonah's lifetime, Israel and Assyria, typically enemies, were actually experiencing a brief period of peace. But nevertheless, Israel kind of always lived under the threat of attack by Assyria. Probably not uh, unlike today what the neighboring nations around North Korea might feel like. And this may have contributed a little bit of uh, reluctance in, in, in Jonah's desire not to go when God called him there. Now, a calling is simply a summons. It's an invitation into a course of action. Over the last 40 years as a pastor, people ask me lots of questions about God and life in the Bible. But far and away, the most common question was some variation of this. How do I know God's calling or his will for my life? And I'm going to give you this morning the, the short version of the best answer I've come up with over the last four decades. Every one of us who identifies as a follower of Jesus actually has two callings. The first is a general call to all of us to be a full-time disciple of Jesus 
in the three spheres of life we occupy, where we live, where we work, and the people with whom we do life. In our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, we're to live for Jesus 24-7, 365. Said another way, we're to love God, we're to love people, we're to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus, put off the old man or woman, put on the new, pray, give generously, serve others in love, be a faithful, hardworking employee, be kind, be thankful, uh, speak the truth, forgive others, and that's just for starters. The general call is universally applicable to all disciples of Jesus for all time, regardless of race or culture or gender or age or place and station in life. The second is a special calling. It's a unique destiny in God's kingdom that only you can fulfill. And it's captured by Jesus in the words of his final prayer in John 17, verse 4, where he said, Father, I brought glory to you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see, each one of us has a special work that God wants us to uh, to fulfill, and it reflects who God has made each of us to be, our spiritual and natural gifts and abilities, our personality and temperament, our passions, the things that, that we get lit up about, our life experiences and history, those kinds of things. Think of special callings as an invitation from God into a particular vocation or career, or place of service to others, or volunteerism, maybe even a specific geographical location, or a measure of sacrifice that only we can fulfill. It's not coerced. It is an invitation. We can choose to accept it and walk in it or not. For example, God's calling for you might be for you to be a teacher, an architect, an engineer, a librarian, to work in IT or graphic design, the helping professions, in the armed forces, or to be a business owner, to work in retail or food service or civil service, to be a stay-at-home mom or dad or, or grandparent raising grandchildren, or to work with a not-for-profit or a church, to be a full-time volunteer or to be retired. And your special calling may shift or, or change or emerge more clearly over time or in different seasons of your life. Now, because God is a communicating God, he reveals this calling in many different ways. Through his word, when the Holy Spirit speaks through the inspired text to your heart, through prayer, through the inward witness of the Holy Spirit who lives in, in the heart of all believers, the input and counsel of people that we love and trust, through God's providential control over the circumstances of our life, through our natural and spiritual gifts and abilities, or through training or education that we've received. He also uses supernatural means, the gifts of the Spirit, like prophecy, word of wisdom, and word of knowledge. It could be an angelic appearance or even a supernatural dream. Some of you have probably known from the time you were very young exactly what it was that God wanted you to do with your life. 
Others of us have uh, struggled our entire life with some kind of clarity, kind of wondering, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Am I, am I living my purpose? Now, we aren't told in today's text how Jonah's special calling came, but in the original language in verse 1, where the text reads that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, we could suspect that maybe it was an audible voice. But at its heart, like all callings, it was an invitation. It was a summons. God was inviting Jonah to partner with him in a special work, an assignment to go to the Ninevites and preach judgment. And so now, Jonah had a choice to make. Let's continue reading in verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So, instead of turning right, uh, uh, and uh, actually that's your left. This is, this is my right, or your right, my left. Instead of turning right and heading 500 miles up the northeast uh, uh, across the desert to uh, the, the city of Nineveh, he turned left, and he started a 2,500-mile journey to Tarshish, which was at the southern tip of Spain, uh, close to the Strait of Gibraltar. Why did he do that? <laughs> well, we're given some indication in chapter 4, which you'll unpack in a few weeks, but I'll give you a hint. He was afraid that God would be merciful and change his mind. <laughs> Imagine that. But Jonah tried to run away from God as far as he could get. And before we kind of chuckle to ourselves today and think, how could anybody think they could actually run away from God? Let me ask you a question. <laughs> how many of us have ever tried to run away from God or deny something that we think he wanted us to do? We have courageous souls that are willing to admit, yeah, probably all of us at some time or another. It's just that Jonah's story happened to be recorded for all of human history to read. Let me tell you a little bit about our story. So after graduating from the University of Illinois in 1978 with a degree in landscape architecture, my wife Tina and I returned to my hometown of Peoria where I was assuming a third generation role in our family landscape and garden center business. We built a new home there, we began to make great friends in our new neighborhood, attended the family church, and were enjoying life. And we'd been there about a year and a half when we experienced what I would now uh, uh, phrase, frame as a special calling. It was early in the fall of 1979, while doing my daily Bible reading, I was just struck by the Holy Spirit as I read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give to him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to us and that he was inviting us to leave our hometown of Peoria and return to Champaign, where the year before we had started a small Bible study with eight people, with my sister Diane and her husband Happy. Now, it made absolutely no sense for many, many reasons. 
I'd grown up in the family business and was always awaiting my opportunity to lead it. I had trained hard for my position uh, through four years of college. We had a new uh, home. We had extended family. We had a church. We had influence in the city. And uh, we had many friends. And we had a promising future there, not only in the business, but in our impact through both uh, our civic responsibilities and the church of which we were a part. And so we tried to ignore this calling for as long as we could. <laughs> we just ran to Tarshish. We put our head down, plowed ahead with life and work and routine, hoping that something would change. But we couldn't shake it. And so after uh, several months of thinking and praying and talking with people whose input we loved and trusted, we finally decided to take a risk and throw caution to the wind and respond to God's invitation. So we met with my parents that October to inform them of our decision to follow God's special calling on our life. It meant we would be leaving the family business, our new home, our family town, the family church, our friends that we had established, and we were moving back to Champaign. And we weren't sure at all what we were going to do there, uh, or where we would live, or what the future held. But we were just quite sure that God had spoken to us, and you can imagine how that conversation went. As it turns out, that invitation changed our lives because that little group of eight people eventually became the vineyard of Champaign-Urbana, where I served as a pastor for 30 years. And over those four decades, after responding to that invitation, we experienced God as Elohim. Strong and powerful, uh, seeing his mighty power at work in all kinds of ways, just like Jonah did. Now at this point, it might be helpful to make a few comments about what Jonah's story reveals about God's mighty power and his uh, rule over all of creation. Some Christians believe that God predestines our entire life plan. That is to say, every event, every detail, every decision is already predetermined by, by God from before history began. It's as if he has a giant blueprint for the whole world, our lives included. Everything's all mapped out. And in our story, it would mean that God predestined Jonah to run away. Which, if we're honest, seems kind of like at cross purposes with what God wanted to accomplish, unless you think this is the only way that God could teach Jonah a lesson. Others believe in free will. That is to say, God wound up the universe like a giant spring-loaded clock, and then he let it go and endowed people with autonomy and free choice to make whatever decisions we wanted. We might call this the clock model. In our story, it would have meant that God really didn't care about what Jonah did or didn't do, and that he didn't really care about reaching the Ninevites, which, if we're honest, is clearly not the case because God cared deeply about Jonah as well as the Ninevites. Jonah seems to teach what most Christians practically believe. I call this the game plan model, that our lives are some kind of partnership a dynamic, inexplainable blend 
of God's sovereign activity and supernatural intervention on one hand, and our choices, our prayers, the naturally occurring events and life circumstances and decisions by us and others, all kind of mixed together. At times unable to discern, was that God's supernatural predisposition or our choice? Like a coach with her or his team heading into a game or a match, they have a, a game plan. But then as the game unfolds and the, and the opponent strategy becomes apparent, coaches call timeout or have a halftime where they adjust their game plan strategy because of how things are unfolding. In this story, you see, God invited Jonah on a special mission. Jonah decided to run away from the invitation. And so then God responded with this wild, mysterious mix of natural and supernatural events. Get the idea? I thought we'd uh, go ahead and read the balance of chapter 1. It makes for fascinating reading if you've actually never read the story of Jonah. And then we're going to unpack it in the weeks to come. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why is this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. It will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack all of the elements of this story. But let me challenge and encourage you with these few thoughts as we wrap up this morning. Number one, live out of your general call. Every one of us in this room and those listening online, you can uh, do life as a full-time disciple of Jesus 
right where you are 24-7, 365. You don't need to go anywhere special. You don't need to do anything special. You don't need to receive any more special training, attend any conferences or seminars. You just live as a disciple of Jesus right where you are. You can love and serve and obey him in your current place and station in life. If, to the best of your knowledge and your ability to hear and discern God's direction, you don't ever receive a special call, then my encouragement to you is relax. Your marching orders to live as a, as a disciple of Jesus are good orders. And friends, you don't need to worry that somehow you're missing God. If he's chosen to not reveal it with any greater clarity than you already have, it's not on you. It's on him. You can serve the Lord with confidence right where you are. Because every place and station in life has dignity and value and brings God glory when there's a disciple of Christ in it. So you can relax. But while you live in your general call as a full-time disciple right where you are, my encouragement is to be open to a special call. In whatever ways and in whatever time God might decide to invite you into a specific vocation or a career or a place of service to others, volunteerism, even a special geographic location as it was in our case, or a measure of sacrifice that only you can serve, then give it earnest, prayerful consideration when it comes. But give it time. Hurry rush is always from the devil. God will take time to unpack it for you. And know this, that to receive a special calling, an invitation into a special work, is an indication that God thinks you're capable of actually doing it. When he summons you, he's already placed the gold in you to be able to say yes to the calling. Noah, build a boat. Abraham, leave your country and go to the promised land. Moses, lead my people out of Egypt. Solomon, build me a house. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. William Booth, Florence Nightingale, the Wright brothers, Harriet Tubman, Winston Churchill, Marie Curie, Pastor Chuck Smith, Pastor John Wimber, Pastors Neil and Amy McReynolds. Every single one of them was able to do what the Holy Spirit invited them to do because of what God had deposited in them. Now, it's certainly not without having to trust God, right? I mean, we've got to allow him to bring those callings to pass in the right way at the right time and for the right reason. But my point here is be open to a special call as God may choose to reveal it. And the balance of Jonah's story, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, is to teach us that our special callings will often unfold differently than we possibly imagine. The future unfolded for Jonah in ways that he could not possibly have foreseen, right? I mean, who imagines being tossed overboard in a raging storm and getting swallowed by a big fish and living through it? No. And, and so as we step into our callings, they're going to be uh, filled with twists and turns that we could not possibly have foreseen. 
Now, in in truth, there were certain things that Elohim wanted to teach Jonah, and the only way he could do that was, was through the circumstances of this story. Jonah had to learn about God's boundless love for all people, even the people that Jonah hated. And so God had a work to do uh, in his heart. And no doubt God's got a lot to teach each of us as well, right? About his true nature and his true character. It's not just that God wants to work through us, it's that he wants to work in us to conform us to his nature and his character so that we can speak the words of Jesus, do the works of Jesus, and live the way of Jesus. But we cannot possibly imagine all of the ways that God is going to unpack our special callings. Now, as we lean into our present understanding of our special calling, in whatever ways that God has chosen to reveal it, we must trust him to more fully bring it to pass, right? Even when that calling might seem impossible to ever fulfill. It might seem otherworldly, that there's just no way, no chance, no how that that could ever be. We've got to trust God through our present circumstances. No doubt Jonah was overwhelmed. There's no way I can go preach judgment to 120,000 pagans. And in our case, we might need to receive some special training. We might need to go back to school. We might need to relocate, get a different job, move to a different city, move to a different country. Leave a a certain place and station in life and engage in another. I'll tell you how it worked for us. When God first began to speak to my wife and I in 2006 about leaving our 30 years of pastoral work in Champaign, where we thought he had called us to go, and then moving to Peoria to plant a new vineyard, we couldn't imagine, like, why he would do that and how it would happen. We'd already uprooted our lives one time and started over. Peoria already had 650 churches. Why did they need another one? The logistical challenges of gathering a team of people who were willing to relocate and find new jobs, sell their homes, find new places to live, get, get uh, 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 new friends, break into new friendship circles, find new dentists, find new doctors, find a new bank, uh, building a church from scratch. It was overwhelming. And so we just said, Jesus, we don't have a clue how this can possibly happen. But if it's your will for our life, if, if this is your invitation, then we trust you to bring it to pass. And over the next three years, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, step by step, as we fulfilled the general call that we'd already been called to, we marched in the marching orders that we already had, God began to turn that dream into reality. And in 2011, we moved with a team of 15 adults and 11 kids to my hometown of Peoria and started another church. Now, it unfolded way differently than we possibly imagined. And so my encouragement is this. uh, As we lean into our present understanding of our calling, trust God to unpack it in in the ways that he will, because it's going to unfold much differently than we presently imagine. So the first chapter of Jonah, part of this great story, encourages us to live out of our general call to love God and love all people. It encourages us to be open to a special calling 
And then to trust Elohim to move in strength and power to bring those callings to pass. God, we're just so grateful for the story of Jonah. Uh, we're, we'd be embarrassed if our stuff was uh, cemented in the Bible for all eternity, but we're, we are grateful that you caused Jonah's story to be recorded so that we could benefit. And I pray, God, that in these weeks that we spend together in this powerful short story, that you will uh, teach us, O oh Lord, how to love how to love all people everywhere, even those people that are radically different than us, even our enemies. Would you teach us, Lord, how to love? I pray, God, for every person here for an increased measure of clarity in their purpose and their calling. There are so many challenges and obstacles to the things that we even think that, that you seem to be saying. And so I pray for clarity, God especially for those who maybe have never felt one, Lord, that, uh, where they've carried around guilt or shame or fear that they're missing you. Would, you. would you begin to speak peace to their heart and clarity about where they are in life? And for those, Lord, who have a, a sense or maybe have been walking in what they would think is their calling, would you strengthen it and give both of gr those groups of people, Lord, boldness in you because you have put in us all that is necessary for those things to come to pass. God, I pray for grace today for all of us to trust you, to fulfill your calls in the right way, at the right time, in, in the right manner, for the right reason. God, do, do far and above what we could even ask or think or imagine today as you release us from this place into the places we live and love and learn and serve and eat and shop and go to school this week, Lord, that we could bring you glory with our lives in your precious and powerful name. Amen.